0: Hey, I'm glad you're here. My thoughts this morning, it's Mother's Day. I don't do Mother's Day messages, obviously, because I'm a man. And I always thought it was pretty dumb on Mother's Day when men got up to speak. So we've always had some of our wonderful ladies to share on Mother's Day. But I wanted this one because I get to rip open some stereotypes that are non-biblical but really put a lot of women in prison. So I'm good at that. So I thought, yeah, get you some of that, Rick. So my thoughts are taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Listen to a true story. This is right out of the Old Testament. A guy had two wives. That's mistake number one. Polygamy was widespread in the Old Testament. God didn't like it, but men did it anyway. So the man had two wives, and one of his wives had a lot of kids. And for whatever reason, the man didn't love this wife very much. His other wife that he loved with all of his heart was unfortunately barren. So there was jealousy and conflict between the two women. The one with a lot of kids took a lot of delight in tormenting and ridiculing the barren wife. So you can imagine Hannah, the wife who's barren, felt diminished and broken in her spirit about not being able to bear children. And you add to that pain the pain of the ridicule of the other wife, she's got lots of pain. So Hannah, in the middle of her pain, breaks down and pours her heart out to God. And the Bible says she wept bitterly over her disappointment. You know, later on she decides a different approach, and she makes a vow to God. She says, God, if you'll give me a child, I'll give that kid back to you. I will raise that child and then put him back in your service for the rest of his life. Later, God answered her prayer and gave her a son named Samuel. She dedicated Samuel to God, raised him, brought him to the tabernacle, handed him off to the high priest named Eli. And she said, here's my kid. I made a covenant with God that I would bring him up and put him in God's service for the rest of his life. So now he's yours. I imagine Eli said, well, thanks as every parent would. So Samuel grows up to figure prominently in the unfolding history of Israel. He's the one who later anoints King David to be the new king of Israel. It's a dramatic story and you can read it later for yourself. But I want to make four simple observations from this story on Mother's Day weekend. Point number one, no matter what anybody says, motherhood is an honorable aspiration. If a woman desires to be a mom, it is a high and noble aspiration. Hannah wanted to be a mom. She felt it would be an honorable investment of the substantial years of her life. And history affirms the importance of the role moms play in giving and shaping human lives. God has known all along that without quality women making the courageous choice to be moms, the whole human race is in big trouble. In the last 40 years, largely to the feminist movement, a strange shift has occurred that seriously undermined the role of mothers. But on the other side, let me be quick to affirm that the movement brought a much needed correction to our society and culture with how it regards value of a woman in marketplace and marketplace skills. Thanks to that movement, millions of young women are free to discover their gifts, their talents, they can pursue career goals with a freedom unknown to previous generations of women. My daughters and yours will be able to walk through vocational doors that were bolted shut not that long ago. But with any social movement that involves correction, It usually goes beyond balance and then produces an overreaction. And that overreaction has affected most circles in our culture today so that if a woman chooses to become a mom and devote herself to raising and shaping her kids, they are considered not very high in the value system of America culture. Let a woman announce her plans to pursue law or medicine or politics or business and cheers break out from the grandstands. But don't expect much applause for a woman who pursues the ministry of mothering. In fact, you're likely to hear from those other high-career women, you're just throwing your life away. I've also heard in circles women lower their voices to reveal when asked what they do to say, well, I'm just a homemaker. I don't do anything important. I just raise kids. What? See, the honor has been slowly stripped away from the challenge of child rearing. It's not deemed as honorable anymore. There was a time when men and women carried the notion that moms had a powerful effect on society and the church. The old adage would affirm it, she who rocks the cradle rules the world. But these days, values are different. It's difficult for a mom to feel valued and significant even when her kids are bright, loving, honest, and happy. And even when they become followers of Christ, especially when those moms who have female friends who are well-paid executives for large businesses, because those women tend to think, having great kids, what does that matter in today's world? Well, unfortunately, today it doesn't seem to matter very much in our value system. And that's a tragedy. What a short-sighted, superficial society we live in. It was a lot easier in Hannah's day to see the nobility of motherhood. It was part of the culture of that day. And Hannah wasn't apologetic about wanting to be a mom. She saw it as a perfect fit for her life. So let me say to you women, young and older, if you feel the aspiration to be part of the ministry of mothering, it's an honorable thing you aspire to. Second thought has to do with the ridicule Hannah took from the other wife of her husband. Scripture says that this callous woman intentionally provoked Hannah and shamed her repeatedly because she couldn't have kids. And usually, a mom's chief antagonist today will most likely be other women or a woman. One woman author writes this, and I quote, In the past, homemakers felt men did not fully appreciate what went into raising kids and running a household. But they often at least got understanding and support from other women. Today, however, mothers find it particularly disturbing when other women criticize and degrade them. And criticize they do. Everywhere you turn, you hear other women expressing their strong dogmatic opinion about what a woman should do and what a woman should be. And God forbid you get in the church. Every denomination has its own model that they want you like a cookie cutter to fit into. And that's what I'd like to destroy this moment. See, some say all women should pursue careers. Other voices cry out all women should be full-time moms. Others cry out all diligent mothers should homeschool their kids if they really love them. Still others say all mothers should mix child-rearing with a career outside the home to avoid getting the homemaker's badge. Now the troublesome word I just used over and over is the word... All, As if there's a single mole somewhere that all women should be stuffed into. So what's the answer? How do women who have long since liberated themselves from the approval of men liberate themselves from the conflicting opinions and expectation of other women, including religious denominations? I think the ultimate answer is to declare God to be the ultimate guide in the making of life's major decision. Then... move out confidently in the direction he affirms, regardless of what other men or women might think. Now, may I remind you, it's God who wired each of us up. God knows your gifts, your talent, your passions, your abilities, and your makeup. He knows what particular path is best suited for your life, and he cares. And get this, one size does not fit everybody. Stop that. And God offers guidance if you want it and seek it humbly. So the question comes, will you follow the direction when God gives it? See, there are many women in the Bible who look to God for guidance, got some unusual custom-tailored leading from God, and then follow those directions courageously. For example, in Judges 4, a crisis of leadership arose during a very depressing time for Israel. And in that vacuum of leadership... The general public cried out to God, hey, do something. Take action. And God did. He called a woman named Deborah, and he assigned her to the top leadership position in the nation. And God used her to engineer a political and military turnaround that eventually led the nation of Israel into 40 years of peace and prosperity. Kind of reminds me of Golda Meir when she was a a strong woman leader there. And there's nothing wrong with being a strong woman. Thank you. Not a doormat. Another time in the Old Testament, an evil guy named Haman was planning a holocaust to exterminate all of the Jews in his nation. And God doesn't want that to happen. So God in his grace stepped in and chose a woman named Esther to be the key deliverer of an entire nation. And God had given Esther extraordinary physical beauty. May I say she was hot. And for some of you self-righteous, bigoted people, God can use hotness for his purpose. That's good to know. He can do it a lot better than ugly, okay? But anyway, God God used, I don't want any emails, all right. God uses a combination of her beauty, her cooperative personality, and her tenacious courage to save his people from extinction. And Esther obeyed the assignment given to her by God. It was a high-risk assignment that brought her to the edge of her faith and to the edge of her life. And Esther, as she's deciding to cooperate, makes this statement. I will do what God has asked me to do, and if I perish, I perish. Let me pause here to say... In that culture, if the king did not extend a sepulcher to you, you were not allowed to come into his presence, even as a wife, without his invitation. Should you decide to do it, if he doesn't extend the sepulcher, you're dead. I don't know how that would compare today, maybe with the remote. Maybe. I I don't know. But she's walking in at the risk of her life. I gotta just do this. Sorry, it's for the religious people. If you were this woman, and you knew I gotta go see this guy who picked me in a beauty contest, and I can die if he doesn't. Accept, I got I gotta knock him dead when I walk in. My life is on the line. And so they had the eunuchs perfume them and bathe them in oil of olay. And you can bet she perfumed evening in Jerusalem, something on there. I don't know. Probably had a good, tight, short cleavage dress. I mean, I would have been using everything God gave me. My life is on the line. And that woman walked in, and here's what the man said. Esther, to the half of my kingdom, what do you want? She knocked him out, and God used it in that moment to save a nation. But when she said, if I perish, I perish, that's one of my favorite verses on total commitment in obeying God. And it comes from a woman, a godly, courageous, brave woman. She didn't get her cues from men, and she didn't cower from other women. She didn't cave into cultural expectation, but was willing to risk her life to carry out the assignment God had given her. In the New Testament, book of Acts 18, God had enlightened and, I don't know, anointed a young man named Apollos with extraordinary teaching skill. He didn't have a lot of knowledge, though. He had a great gift. So God used a man and a wife named Aquila and Priscilla as a kind of seminary faculty team to train him up as a gifted speaker. So Priscilla cooperated with God's assignment, and God used a woman to help prepare a key man for his role in the early church. It was quite unusual in that culture in that day. But God knew how he had wired Priscilla and how she could be a difference maker, and she cooperated with God's plan. And of course, when God wanted to assign a woman to birth his son Jesus, he chose Mary. He assigned her the task to nurture and invest herself in the raising of God's son. And Mary obeyed. She devoted herself to the child-rearing challenge. And she gave God's son a loving environment to grow and mature. Well, why did God choose Mary, you might ask? Well, God knew how he made Mary. He knew her assignment was consistent with how he had wired her. And Mary gave the world its savior. Let me say this. That's why one size doesn't fit all. Some people will look at somebody else who can manage a career and two kids and a family and say, they may look on it with disgust and say, well, I just don't see how they do it. Hey, God wired her to do it. I, I've got over 10 million miles. I, I travel in every nation on this earth, and the jet lag, I don't even keep up with it anymore or, or whatever. I get in, I go out, I do my thing. People say, I don't know how you do that without dying. I'm made for it. That's, that's simple. I remember in the heyday when Tiger Woods was on top of the golf game and nobody could figure out how he could just win and win, win, win and do everything. And the journalist asked him, he says, well, a lot of people are doing this and trying to do that. What's your secret? And I remember in frustration, Tiger said, I don't know. It's a gift. And see, when God gives you, your yoke's easy, your burden's light. I don't know. I can just do it. But if it's giving you a hernia... You're probably not doing what he wired you to do. He said, my yoke is easy, my burdens light. Somebody else may fall under the burden, but not you. He, he engineered me. He structured me. He's, he's a craftsman. He's a builder. He knows stress and structure. And he will never allow more to be placed on you than you're able to bear. You have to, sometimes, I can't take you anymore. Don't pray that prayer. Because God will say, oh, Really? Well, I made you, and I ought to know. Let's just see if that's true. And I, I thought, I don't, I, in my young days, I remember praying a little bit of that nonsense, and I quit. God says, oh, I'll show you how much more you can take. Hang on. Don't ever say, I can't take any more. God says, I won't allow more to be put on you. He gives you grace. He gives you a, a means of escape. God comes through for you. So don't worry about somebody else, just you. Don't try to be somebody else. You'll die. David said, I can't wear your armor, Saul. I can take this giant down with a surface-to-air missile, my sling. And this guy is three to one, pound for pound, able to spit me out, chew me up, and destroy me. I ain't even going to get close to him. I'm going to launch that missile from a good hundred yards away and take this sucker down. He used what he had. He was skillful in what he could do. And you will be too. So don't let religion, don't let denominations, don't let culture, don't let people in your family, background, race, don't let them make you be something that God did not make you to be. Now where scripture is clear, I'm confined by that. But boy, it's not clear in every other area. You take you I'm playing with you and I don't care if you get mad. Let a woman be modest. Well, oh, try that out. That depends on what denomination you go to. If you want to be a Muslim, you could get a burqa. You, you could put a sheet over your whole body and have two eye holes. That's one culture's view of modesty. Somebody else says, well, a dress three inches above the knee. What does Scripture say? Silence. doesn't say a thing. So it's going to be something that works off with no Scripture. God uses your conscience. Okay, not the culture, your conscience. Which again, some people, I can remember a fundamentalist preacher damning women who wore sundresses. Another one, damned women who wore pants. Anybody but me ever go to those stupid, crazy places where there is no scripture for that whatever. Nonsense. So the point is, and I, tell, I, I remember we started Summit. The last thing I ever wanted to be was, was not a preacher. A rock and roll entertainer, a jet fighter pilot, a preacher. It didn't fit. It just didn't fit. But I remember telling telling a group of people when we started this church, let's get one thing clear. My wife is my wife, not yours, mine. So if she wants to do something and she's gifted to do something, she can do it but I will not force her to do something because she marries a guy who's the preacher. And that goes on all the time, puts unfair stress on women, and makes them do something they're not gifted to do. And they usually end up with a lousy marriage and hate the husband and probably hate God. I said, my wife dresses for me. not you. Get over it. So... That's how all these preachers have all these affairs. Everybody else is looking good. And your old religious system makes your wife look like an old swayback donkey or something. You don't. That's what religion does. Not God. God didn't do that. That's why most people stay away from church. They got a view, a view of God from people. And it's a wrong view. I mean, God does not mess with that. There's no, there's no scripture that says, well, you, you must do this or she must have that or she must wear a hair bun or she must wear this and it must... doesn't say. So stop it. It's just that you came out of a culture or a religious group that patterned that or demanded that, and if you didn't fit in that, you were rejected. I don't want to fit in anybody's pattern except God. And God made you unique and God made you different. Celebrate that for God's sake. You go to Assembly of God, you go to Southern Baptist, you go to Independent Fundamental Premillennial Baptist, you can go over to any group you want, and they got their cookie cutters. They all dress alike, act alike, the choir's all alike. Where's an an individual unique person? Now, celebrate your uniqueness. Don't be ashamed of it. Be different. Now, don't violate Scripture, but don't be afraid to be who you are. You say, well, I don't fit in. Who wants to fit in? Fit in what? It's not a gang. It's a family. And if you've got kids, they're all different. They dress different. They have different tastes in music. One size doesn't fit all. Now, if you don't like it, then find somebody else or some other group where you are happy. But I'm trying to get you liberated to say God does not demand you be one style or the other. And you could give a lot of other examples, but these four. Just show there's no single mole that all women have to fit into. There's not one single calling God expects all women to pursue. Deborah was called to be a political and military leader. Esther was a beauty queen. Priscilla was a theological instructor. And Mary, a beautiful mother and a homemaker. So the challenge for women is to reject the idea of a single appropriate mole that's been defined by men, women, or religion, or your culture, and break out of that mole and get your instructions from God who made all of us unique and different. So I challenge all women, young and old, affirm each other's unique calling. Celebrate it. God is a God of diversity, and he calls women into a lot of different kind of assignments. So how about it? Let's be that kind of a church, ladies, that affirms the other ladies' different calls. Third observation. i got to hurry. Ha- it underscores the impact of prayer in the life of a woman, and Hannah especially. Scripture tells us her antagonists provoked her bitterly year after year, shamed her relentlessly because she was barren. But Hannah had a secret weapon of mass destruction, and she could deploy it whenever she felt beaten down. It was prayer. And the text says that when she prayed, she poured out her heart to God. And God listened, God understood. And God cared. I know we have a lot of women in this church in every conceivable maybe life situation. And just maybe you need to be reminded on this Mother's Day weekend of the centrality and power of prayer. Maybe we have some beaten down and discouraged moms today who need maybe an inner healing that only prayer could affect. Or maybe we've got some moms facing an empty nest. That's an adjustment, a new season. Maybe we've got moms of wayward kids who feel like we must be total failures. We did our best and didn't do any good. Maybe we've got some single moms who wonder how long they're going to be able to hold everything together. Maybe we've got some women who long to be moms, but for some reason, maybe medically or physically, it can't be. Maybe we have some moms in blended families, and that's a tough one, where it's not working out well yet. Maybe lots of women here need to be reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Come to me, everybody who's weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Maybe 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your care on him, for God cares for you. Just dump your junk on him. He begs you to do it. And pe- People say, well, I'm a burden bearer. Well, dude, I'm not. Jesus just told me to get it on him. What are you carrying it for? I'm not carrying a burden, right? I'm going to put it on the Lord. Now, maybe some of you need to receive permission. Psalm 62, verse 8. Pour out your heart to God. If I was writing that, I'd say pour out your guts to God. And on this kind of a prayer, you probably want to be alone. Either in the car, driving to or from work, or doing something around the house. It's pretty much empty, and you get to say what you are feeling. Now, why not? Well, I don't... I don't want God to hear that. Hey, he knows the thought and intent of your heart already. You might as well spit it out. If you're upset, if you're discouraged, if you said, Lord, I'm not real pleased with you. what? I remember Jack Taylor many years ago at Castle Hills. He was an old friend of mine, and he had a good impact on me. But I remember him telling the story of the old Scotsman. He said, Lord, I'm not surprised you've got as few friends as you do the way you treat the ones you got. And I thought sometimes I feel that way. How about you? Sometimes I feel like this is not the way I planned this thing to go. But I trust. I have to trust the Lord. So He likes it when you share your heart. And by the way, it's therapeutic. Talking. You don't have to pay $150 an hour and lay on the couch. You just talk to the Lord free, no charge. And it, it is. And He listens. He does listen and care. So Hannah found strength in prayer. She felt safe and secure in God's care when she prayed so let me challenge all the women of summit and men pray pray all the time pray often pray earnestly about anything about everything make your requests known and make them specific and trust God for what you need and in these days that are so difficult for moms and families pray it's given to you as a might. if two or three of you shall agree in prayer is touching anything they ask I'll do it but all you need is two. You don't need 2,000, just two people in agreement. And here's the last thought. Hannah discovered that preparing a child for a life of service to God is the highest calling possible for a mom. Because Hannah was barren for so long, I reckon she had a lot of time to kind of figure out why she wanted to be a mom. Now, I'm sure she's no different than us. I'm sure in the early days she thought about all the superficial reasons for wanting to have kids. Like, I'm going to compete with the other wife who's already got a bunch of kids. I'll show her. Or maybe to look better in the eyes of women in that culture who were already mothers. But eventually she came to the point she saw child-rearing and child-raising as an opportunity to give God glory by preparing the young person she got For an entire lifetime of service to God. So when she landed on that reason, then she made a simple vow to God. And she said, oh God, if you grant me a child as a gift from your gracious hand, I will do everything in my power to love and nurture and model spiritual reality to that kid in the hope that someday he or she will be completely available to you for a lifetime of service. And God heard the prayer, and God gave her the son, Samuel. She did exactly what she said. So Hannah committed this kid to the Lord. And the child Samuel became one of the most important spiritual leaders in the history of God's people. The point is that Hannah figured out the ultimate goal of motherhood. She wasn't just going to raise a kid to be well-adjusted, bright, and employable. She aimed higher than that. She prayed that this kid would serve God for a lifetime. So moms around Summit, do you have a vision like that for your children? Do you know what the goal is and are you shooting high enough? Now, I am not at all suggesting everybody should try to get your kids to pursue a Christian vocation. Not at all. That wouldn't be God's plan for everybody. But why not everybody pray that all of our kids come to know Christ and that they would serve and honor God their whole life? I don't care if they're doctors, bankers, lawyers, whatever career they're in, they would honor God through that career. That's, that's my ultimate goal. You know, wouldn't that be the great joy for any mom or dad? Why wouldn't we pray every day about that? Some parents take one day a week to fast and pray for their children to come to know God and give their lives to Him and serve Him. And I want to say to parents everywhere listening today, you've got grown-up kids. They're grown. They've moved away. They've got their own family. It's never too late to pray those prayers and establish those goals for your kids. You know, I'm not going to lay awake at night worrying about how much money my kids will earn, how many square feet they'll have in their house, how late model their car will be. My times of concern focus on my kids and their spouses relating to Jesus real, authentically, finding their spiritual gifts and using them passionately, developing solid Christian friendships, making some difference in their world or work world, whatever it is, and seeking God's guidance so they'll go and do wherever he guides them. I think that would make Cindy and I the happiest parents on the earth. I mean, what would it profit us as parents if our kids gained the whole world and then lost their soul? That would be the ultimate tragedy, see? So let's all decide to encourage our children to worship and serve God for bring them to church. Put them in our kids love the kids ministry. They fight to come back. Set an example for those children. Keeping them away, you're setting an example and then when things go rotten later out in life, you sowed the seeds, you know. I want them to know, you know, I never wanted to go to church. First of all, it was boring. Number 2, nobody ever said anything I was interested in. And number 3, my dad never went. He just dropped us off with mommy. So as a boy, I thought, well, this must be some mom's religion. I didn't want to go there. He didn't go there. And if daddy will go to church, uh, 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 the statistics say that like 87% of the family will follow. Dad's a key. He really is a key. And so it's not a matter of what I feel like or don't feel like. It's the example I want to impute to my kids. I want them to know your relationship with God is the most important one of all. More important than your spouse, your career, than anything everything. I want them to know that. So in closing, let me affirm one more time, the honor and nobility of motherhood. It's a high and worthy calling for those that are called to pursue motherhood, to nurture and teach and inspire a child to the point where he or she will worship and serve God for a lifetime. So moms, on this Mother's Day weekend, we honor you. We call what you are doing valuable, precious, and important. And before God, before your children, before your spouses, your friends, and everybody in this church, we celebrate and applaud your courageous choice to be moms. And we ask God to energize you and empower you to be a mom like Hannah. And by the way, there aren't any perfect moms or dads. We have a perfect Savior, and He can still help us, flaws and all, to produce the kids that will be a credit to the next generation. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.